Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Blair. Oh my gosh. Um, hi, my name is Blair. I use they, them pronouns, and I am a recovering anorexic, bulimic, binge eater, over-exerciser, body obsessor, all calorie counter, <laughs> um, all of the things. I also want to say if um, the wind is too loud, if someone can just DM me and I'll transfer to headphones. Um, yeah, I'm so nervous. My heart is like beating out of my chest. I'm probably going to cry. Um, I... I will do like, let me get like the basics out of the way. I've been in OA for um, about three and a half years. Um, my bottom line abstinence is no throwing up. And my and I've worked all 12 steps. Obviously it's like a prereq for this meeting. Um, my life is like unrecognizable from how it was. I'm like so close to crying. Um, I like never thought I could have the recovery that I have today. And like this meeting is just such a big deal. Um, my sponsor sponsor like texted me or left me a voicemail before. And it's just like, it makes it so real because like I, so I'm 29 and I've had like an active eating disorder since the end of eighth grade. Um, and I thought like either I was gonna kill myself because of this, I would die from it. Or like, I would just like live in secret for the rest of my life, even though like literally it wasn't a secret to anyone because it was obvious that I was like insane. So I'll start with the like, what it was like, what happened and what it's like now. Um, and yeah, what it was like is like, I grew up in an alcoholic household um, and that is pertinent to my disease because I just like in that household, I never really felt like it was safe to show emotion and it was safe to really be myself even. And, and I think I was born that way. Like the disease of eating disorders is like in my family, you know, on both sides in many different manifestations. Um, and I grew up in a household where like how you appear is really important. Um, and I have just always been not quite right. Like, um, and I think I realized later on in life has a like slight fact to do with that. I'm like gay and non-binary and like didn't realize that um but I think a lot of it too was just like I just felt off and I know people from all walks of life some just feel off and like they don't fit in and I've really learned that in this meeting or in this in these rooms that like that doesn't mean we should hurt ourselves you know and that just means that we haven't maybe come in contact with the right people but yeah I like always felt off I have memories of like um in like third and fourth grade like crying because I was like I can't like go to the neighborhood like party. Like I'm too ugly to go. Um, as if like anyone cares <laughs> what I look like, you know, but like, and sure, like I was like, I was like a fat kid when I was, um, when I was in elementary school and I was teased a lot for it. Um, and that is like definitely traumatic. And I felt like I didn't fit in even before that. Um, and yeah, so like I had this like seething self-hatred from a very young age. Um, and in middle school, there was a lot going on with like parents splitting up, 
consequences of alcoholism manifesting in my family and like this hyper responsibility really like gearing up. And in eighth grade, I just like couldn't accept just from the get go, like not an acceptance of some relationships of like my peers. And I just like on an eighth grade trip decided like, yeah, like I'm just like going to only have fruit for dinner. Like I'm just going to stop eating because I can control that. And it just became this instant hyper fixation. And I was like, I was hyper aware of what I looked like from a very young age. Like I was five feet tall in fourth grade and was the like second tallest person. And like I said, like I was in a fat body when I was younger and like would constantly be like it for me started out also as this disease of comparison. Like, why is this person smaller than me? Like, why am I not like this person? Why am I not like blonde hair and like amazing at math? You know? And it was just like, it was never like, oh, people are different Blair. It's like, Blair, something's wrong with you. Um, and so that was like the tape in my head. And so, yeah, in the end of eighth grade, I started restricting my food, um, counting calories. And by middle of ninth grade, I was hospitalized because I was considered to be like an insurance liability for my high school um, because I was underweight. Um, and that there was no way that 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 hospitalization and then that inpatient program that I eventually went to, there's no way that I was going to get better because I was in a sick environment. And my eating disorder was a way to protect myself. It was a way to like literally turn off my central nervous system. Like, how can I care about what's happening in my family when like I've eaten 50 more calories than I'm supposed to eat today? And it's like that kind of mentality, um, that like kept me safe because from like a very young age, like I like, like knew to myself, I was like, this is a very acceptable way to disappear. Like, and I, from a young, like from that young age, like I was someone who self-harmed and this was just an extension of my self-harm. And it was an extension of this desire to disappear and make myself smaller. Um, and like I said, growing up, I always felt like I was wrong. And so by making myself smaller, like I literally took up less space. It sounds so cliche, but that's the reality. And now in recovery, when I realize I'm in a situation where I feel like I need to disappear, like the, the solution is not to make myself smaller. It's to examine why do I feel like I need to disappear? Is something going on here where I don't feel safe with this person, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, so high school was insane. The beginning of my eating disorder was insane. Um, I starved myself, took laxatives, would, you know, starve all week. And then, you know, quote unquote, had these binges on the weekend, which were one normal amounts of food plot twist as an anorexic. I have no idea how much food I'm supposed to eat. Unfortunately, it's much more than my brain thinks I'm supposed to eat. Um, and, and I would also have like real binges because I was starving. And for me, that's what happens from the beginning. I restrict my food. I binge on food because my body's like, what's up? I need calories. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Um, my eating disorder led me to drug addiction, um, because it was too painful. Like when I would gain weight from binging and like, you know, when you're underweight, any little weight you gain, you're like, Oh my God. Or I guess I should say when you have an eating disorder, like it doesn't matter what's what weight range I was in any change in my body. I was like, this is it. This is the end of my life. When in reality, it was like, who cares? My life is still going on. Um, yeah. So it led me to that. Um, and there were, I would say like high school was, I mean, the like peak of insanity in high school would be like thinking I ate too much and taking laxatives and then like going to school wearing like four and a half inch heels. Like that's just a nightmare. Like anyone who has abused laxatives, like being in a confined schedule is does not work. 
Um, you know, and so, yeah, I graduated, I went to college, my eating disorder followed me, plot twist, got sober from the drugs I was addicted to, my eating disorder still followed me. Um, and I just realized in program, and this is why I say it, because I, it wasn't until like two and a half years in program that I realized my Adderall usage was linked to my anorexia. I thought I just really wanted good grades. And it's like, no, it was because I felt like I hit a plateau with my weight. And so why don't I just take some amphetamines? And I say these things because it's like, I, in program is where I've realized how much this eating disorder has like really like led my life. So yeah, my disorder followed me through college. Um, I moved up North to live with um, my father and his new family, which everyone was like, you shouldn't do that. And I was like, no, I can handle anything. Like I, this is going to be good for my career. Like I can just handle it, which is another part of my anorexia is telling myself like, or my eating disorder, like I can do anything. And if the consequence of me doing this, this hard thing is that my mental health goes out the window, then that's the price I pay. And that's not a price I'm willing to pay anymore. But yeah, so I moved there and that is when this was like six or seven years ago, the exercise. Well, the exercise started at the end of college, but the exercise really took off. I was like eating vegan, which was just about controlling my food for me. And I was throwing up and it was a horrible combination. I remember being on the beach with my family and being like, I literally cannot continue to walk because I have no energy. Like there's like, I was like burning through my future adrenal storage at that point. Um, got my dream job in LA that was written for me. And within a week of my dream job being in LA, doubled my salary, life should be perfect. I'm throwing up in the bathroom at WeWork. And I work in the wellness space, um, which I have to do a lot of outside work to not continuously relapse by being in that space. Um, but, you know, I worked in, in food and product development and I found myself like, eating very small meals, binge, staying late at the office to show what a hard worker I am, binging, and then throwing up in the bathroom at WeWork. Um, and um, yeah, so that was crazy. Um, but it got a lot crazier um, when I discovered powerlifting and personal training. And I thought I was cured. I was like, I'm cured. I haven't thrown up in like two months. I am tracking my food. I am eating clean. I am deadlifting weights that I have no business deadlifting. Like I don't have an eating disorder anymore. Um, and that was not true. So it was like my, I just, I say all of that because it's like, there have been so many manifestations of my eating disorder that I thought I'm cured. This is the answer, be it keto, be it butter in my coffee, like eight years ago before it was cool. And I remember my best friend looked me in the face and he's like, you think putting butter in your coffee and not eating till two is going to solve your problems? And I was like, yes, this is the answer to all of my, this is the answer to my trauma, my anxiety, my depression. I just won't eat till two. And he was like, okay, sure. That sounds really normal. Um, and a diet and restricting was always the answer. So what happened was, um, you know, I, you know, was really into the powerlifting and I would be really into counting. And I like, I was addicted to this app and I was just counting, counting, counting. And I was, I couldn't literally like, it sounds insane, but like, I could not stop deadlifting. Like I could not stop. It was like, I knew it was the perfect storm. I was like, I'm quote unquote building muscle, AKA losing weight. And I'm punishing myself at the same time. And by that time I'm done killing myself in the gym, I can't feel anything. This is perfect. 
And so I came into program because I left the dream job to be a consultant, which meant I didn't have my babysitter of eight hours a day anymore. And I could not stop binging at home. And I was having days where I was binging on food that I had bought for houseless people and then going to the gym and then going home and saying, you know, oh, I shouldn't eat anything, which of course, when I tell myself, well, I shouldn't do this, then I do it. Um, And I went to dinner with a friend and I smelled like vomit. And she looked at me and she said, you look like crap. I think you should go to this meeting because you look awful. And she didn't say crap. She used a different word, but she was right. And I remember that Sunday I was in Venice. I was watching the people roller skating. I was like, man, I feel so carefree. Like, I don't need to go to that meeting. Like today I feel good. So I'm cured. You know, I'm not mentally ill. And I went to the meeting. Thank God. And I cried through the whole meeting and I shared with everyone how I couldn't stop deadlifting and how every time I walked, I had this sharp stabby pain that went from my hip flexors down to my leg. And, um, yeah, that's what happened. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't stop. And so I got a sponsor. She told me, great, you're going to do 30 meetings in 30 days. You're going to call three people a day. You're going to call me every day. You're going to send me an AEIOU. You're going to send me your food, what time you ate your food. And you're also going to tell me what you're doing for exercise. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. And I did that. And I've been doing that for the past three and a half years. Um, And this was when we could have meetings in person. And I went to a meeting almost every day because this disease, and I, I left out, you know, before I came into this program, I had whatever, I'm a mystical person in terms of believing things. I had a dream and I called the same friend that told me bulletproof coffee is not going to save my life. And he said to me, he's like, I'm actually really worried about you. I'm, I'm way more worried about this working out thing than I was about when you were addicted to drugs, because he's like, all it's going to take is you putting an extra five pounds on that squat bar. And you're going to not be living the life you live now. And I was like, I, in that, I remember being in the gym, texting this conversation with him. And I was like, if something doesn't change, like I'm not going to make it because I can't keep living this way. I can't starve purge, binge. I I can't keep doing this. And so when I, I was so desperate when I got in because I was like, I cannot keep living this way. Um, so I did what my sponsor said and I went to meetings and I shared and, um, the uncomfortable truth is I really, the, I stopped purging, which was amazing because I couldn't stop. I wasn't someone, you know, my brain will say, you weren't even a good bulimic. You didn't even get it all out. You're not even good. You know, you suck. And it's like, I remember therapist said any amount of throwing up is a problem, whether it's a lot of throwing up or a little throwing up, that's an issue. Um, and she's right. Um, or she was right. And yeah, so I got into the program and I, um, I stopped throwing up, but I would not look at my exercise and, um, I use the program as a way to restrict because in my mind, when I'm restricting and when my food's super clean, super, super tight, there's no anything after anything. And it's just really confined. I'm like, yes, I have arrived. I am here. I am pure. I'm not like, literally my brain is like, you're not a sinner anymore. And it's like, shut up. You just had like a small lunch. Like, doesn't make you God, you know, like that's how my brain works. Um, but I use the program to restrict for a long time. I would come to meetings. I would say, you know, I'm so hungry, but I had my dinner and I must not really be hungry. And I just want to have an apple, but I'm not going to have an apple. People would be like, yeah, don't have it. An apple. I should have been having like an inshore, you know, I was underweight. Um, and, but I, you know, it's on me to be honest, you know, and it's on me to surround myself with people who are honest with me. 
And now I have fellows who are like, yeah, I know you say you feel guilty, but your guilt's not valid. And I'm like, thank you for telling me that because I feel guilty for everything. So I came into the program um, and miracles happened. It, it was in the light of candle room three months in a fellow had, you know, this, this woman um, who, whatever, um, not even gonna go there. Um, anyway, she was like, can I send you my food? Cause I don't have a sponsor right now. I said, sure. So she sends me these screenshots of like her food with the calories. And I was like, whoa, no, this does not work for me. And I was so triggered and I called my sponsor and I was like, she's eating less than I'm eating. She said, are you counting your calories? And I said, maybe. And she's like, well, I'm just going to share with you that the people who I really, you know, feel like have strong recovery, they're not using calorie counting apps. I'm just going to share that with you. And I was like, you know, you know, for anorexics and stuff who have restriction problems. And I was like, Okay. So I went to light a candle that day and I stood with three fellows and I deleted that app off my phone. I had been counting my calories every single God, not going to curse every single day since I was like 12 or 13 years old. And it was a prison. It was a prison. God forbid I eat a freaking extra, whatever. It was like, Oh my God, I have to rearrange my whole day. I couldn't go out to eat. I couldn't be spontaneous. Everything was so, it was like, it was like being in one of those bags, you know, that people use to like preserve things where they suck all of the air out. Like that's what my life was like. And I, it was three months in and I deleted that app. And that was huge for me that I just have to say as a restrictor, as an anorexic, as a dieter, that was freedom for me because now I had to listen to what does my body feel? That was never a question. I didn't want to know what my body felt. I didn't want it. Like I hadn't, I haven't, it's taken like three years to feel hunger fullness levels for me. It has taken so much work to undo what I did of like 15 years of using my brain to tell me what I should eat as opposed to like intuitively eating. Um, and so that happened within three months and miracles started to happen. You know, like I remember the first time, my God, my sponsor asked me to go out to eat with her and a couple, a couple other fellows. And I had an anxiety attack, like at the table, I, I like could not figure out what to eat. I was so hungry. And I was like, I can't order the thing I want. Like, that's not acceptable. You can't eat what you want. No. And so I ordered this really weird combination of food. And I just felt like an idiot. You know, I was like, and of course, I wasn't an idiot. I was someone who had an eating disorder who was in early recovery. But I was just like, how do I not like know what to like, eat, you know, but I didn't have my little app to tell me what was okay to eat. And it was like, you know, it was like learning a new language, like recovery is a new language for me. And, you know, I'm trying to think of like, there's just been so many miracles, like, again, a miracle. Oh, geez, I missed my bottom. So my bottom in my bottom happened in program, I was unwilling to look at the exercise, I was willing to say, fine, I will only go to the gym X amount of times a week for X amount of time. Um, but I was not willing to reduce the intensity. No, that would be too much. And, um, there was a day at the gym, I was walking to the gym and this little voice was like, bro, you like squatted heavy last night. Like you don't, I don't think you should deadlift it. Or like, I don't think you should do powerlifting today. Like, I don't think that's the thing to do. Like, why don't you go sit at the beach? And I was like, absolutely not. This is on the schedule. We're going to do the schedule. The schedule is color coded. This is, it's a yellow day. Yellow is the gym. We're going to the gym. And I was, um, squatting and I was like wow I don't feel that good and I was like you don't feel good because you know you never feel good when you squat a little bit like just go up to like the number that you think you should do and I lost my balance and I threw my back out for the second time at the gym and I herniated a disc 
And that was almost a year into program. And that was my bottom because I had so many signs that that was not the day to do it. And I didn't care because my brain was like, we're doing this. And that's what I've noticed is also the eating disorder voice. The voice that's like, you suck. You're going to do this. You don't have a choice. You're going to do it now. Um, and the God voice is like, why don't you sit at the beach? It's nice to stay for a walk. Like, it doesn't have to be that intense. And um, yeah, I herniated a disc. It was excruciating pain. Someone from the gym had to carry my backpack home because I couldn't walk home and take my backpack. And I did not, you know, I couldn't do any exercise except for walking for a year. And my best thinking said, yeah, you herniated, you threw, something went wrong with your back yesterday, but you probably just need to do some core work. So I went to the gym the next day. I did some core work. I made it worse. And then I tried to do yoga and I really made it worse. So let me tell you, if you injure yourself, the thing to do is to rest. And I, that's a miracle of the program. I think for me, it's like what, what happened and like what it's like now is like more of a weaving than it is a chronological because like this past weekend, my friend's cat attacked me, my hand really hurt. And then I woke up and all of a sudden my shoulder was out. And I was like, well, I really wanted to do yoga today. And my brain was like, but your shoulder and your hand are messed up. And I was like, yeah, my shoulder and my hand are messed up. So I guess I shouldn't do that. And it still hurt the next day. Cause my brain's like, well, if you do this, then for sure, Blair, like for sure you can work out tomorrow. Like that's hundred percent how it works. We've made a deal with God. You rest today. You can work out tomorrow. And the next day it didn't feel better. And so then I didn't use that arm again. And now it feels completely fine. And like, that was not possible when I came into program, like, Five months ago, I was play fighting with my wife. My shoulder went out because I have chronic injuries now from powerlifting while under eating like a crazy person. Um, and I was like, well, I didn't like injure this working out. So like, I don't have to rest it. Like I injured it like playing around. Um, and then I continued to work out. And then I had like a messed up shoulder for like over a week. And so it's like, I, that's where like progress, not perfection is really real, you know? And like, that's why I have a bottom line. Like no matter what, I don't throw up. But I can't have a like you a perfect exercise abstinence, you know, because it's like it's a learning process. And this program for me is so about, like experience trying things out. And there's a fellow here who like has taught me so much about that. Like I remember when I was figuring out where I want to move, which is also a miracle of recovery. I was like, I can never leave Venice because then I won't have my bodybuilding gym. So I have to live in this tiny overpriced apartment for the rest of my life because I can walk to my bodybuilding gym here, which is the same as an alcoholic walking into a vodka distillery, essentially that gives free samples 24 seven, because I go into that bodybuilding gym and I'm like, yes, these people have the answer. Like, this is the answer. Like bodybuilding is God. And like, for me, like, I can't, like, I don't belong to a gym now. And the miracle is I don't live in Venice anymore. And I don't have that gym membership because it like, it's too tempting. I can't resist it, you know? Um, but yeah, like, you know, that's a miracle. Leaving Venice was a miracle. Not throwing up my food when I've had a binge or eaten too much is a miracle. And I've had a couple gnarly binges in this program. And I'll say for any bulimic, this is my story. Keeping it no matter what is what stopped me binging. And that includes trying to work it off the next day. That includes skipping breakfast that next day. It includes eating a lighter breakfast the next day. For me, the way I stopped binging was I binge. I eat the same freaking breakfast I ate the day before. 
doesn't matter. Oh, you're full. doesn't matter because the second I start to restrict the next day, the second I try to make up for it, I'm starting the cycle for me. It's a purge binge recycle and per sorry, recycle cycle. <laughs> um, you know, like, it's like, if I try to, um, there's a word, there's a phrase we use in the rooms. I can't remember. Like if I try to like make up for it, that doesn't, that triggers the whole shebang. And, you know, there were even, I think it was like a couple weeks ago, like there was two days where I got way too hungry. I like more than my stomach needed at dinner. And then I felt way too full. And the next day my brain was like, like, do you need breakfast? Surely you don't need it. I think you just need a juice. And I have fellows that I can text and I'm like, I'm going to have my regular breakfast. I felt like I, my brain says I ate too much last night but I'm still going to have my regular breakfast. And it just stopped the cycle for me, you know? And also I put plans around it. Like I knew for me in the, in the, um, in the past, like coming home from like being with family in that moment that I was finally alone, that was a danger zone. And so what did I do? I'd maybe go to a meeting or I would call someone, or I would like, when I'd get home from a trip, like, cause those are the moments for me where I would feel that like I would need to rest and relax. And I didn't know how to rest and relax without using eating disordered behaviors. That was the only way I knew how to rest and relax. So when I would come home from trips, I would call a fellow and say, Hey, you want to go to the beach after, you know, and it's LA. So you can go to the beach literally every single day of the year. And I would go to the beach with a fellow and just like get caught up in like finding tools outside of like hurting myself with restricting, binging, purging, exercising, whatever. Like that's been such a huge part of my program. Um, and that's what it's like now. Like I, when I came into this program, I literally, right before I came into the program, my personal trainer was like, you need to eat sweet potatoes. And I started yelling at him in the gym. And I was like, you don't understand. Like, you don't know what kind of a battle that is. And he was like, I no, I don't understand. Like, and like, obviously he was not the person to talk to about it. Like I need way more help than a personal trainer. And now like I eat, I have nothing that's off limits. I eat what I want. I eat when I want it. I do not try, like it has taken, it has taken so much work in program to take like, and I say this, when I came into program, I worshiped at the altar of thinness. Being thin was like, or trying to be thin or trying to look a certain way was like, I had a great career. Didn't care. You know, it was like, if I had a great career, but I didn't have the body I wanted, who gives a crap? And now it's like, if I don't have the body that my brain thinks I want, I'm probably in recovery because I don't know what I'm supposed to look like. And my, I literally think I'm supposed to look like someone who's ready to go do a bodybuilding competition. Those people don't even look that way, you know, like, and so for me, it's like recovery has been this journey of <sighs> exhaling and like letting myself be who I am and like not holding my stomach in all of the time and letting myself buy clothing that fits instead of trying to force myself into things that are too tight, which like I've really come to realize is like, how is that any different than like constantly pinching myself? You know, it's not, that's harmful. That's not good for me. And it's also like not great for my circulation. Recovery has meant like you know, really looking at like, what does it mean to restrict? Because I didn't just restrict my food. I restricted my life. You know, when I met who is now my wife, I was like, I don't have time for this. When I met my wife, my brain was like, it's time to relapse. We should get thin. That's what we should do. Because I was like, this doesn't fit. I'm supposed to be fit into my plan. Like I'm supposed to be focused on my career. You know, I'm supposed to be focused on recovery. And my sponsor is like, we have programs so we can have a life, 
that's the point of getting recovery is to like help others and then like have a life, you know? And I remember like, I remember sitting in Canada where I met Jasmine, who's now my wife. And my sponsor was like, you from now on, when you send your inventory, you're going to send me like, what will relapse take from me? And what does recovery give me? And that was so huge for me to look at like every day, what does recovery give me? I'm a lot, I can eat out with friends. I don't have to work out for an ungodly amount of time. I can do workouts I actually like that before I did not consider working out, but actually it's movement. So it is working out. I um, can travel. Travel was a nightmare. I'd be the person on the plane with like a can of salmon and like a boiled potato. And it was like, oh, I just like had to control. I had to control it because if I couldn't control it, I couldn't be safe. And if I wasn't controlling myself and keeping myself in this like tight little Ziploc bag, then like you might see that I'm not perfect and you might like be able to critique me. And so much of my disease was like, well, if my body looks a certain way, you might think I'm like a total jerk, but like you can't critique that like I am thin. And that is such a shallow existence. That was such a shallow way to live. And this program has taught me to look at how do I treat people? How do I treat myself? Who have I helped today? You know, like, who have I shown up for? Have I shown up for myself? Like so many other things than like, yes, I'm a size, blah, 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 you know? And it's like, it doesn't even matter because I can 17 different sizes in every single store anyway. And, you know, recovery has given me, like, it's given me my life back. Like I actually enjoy my life now. And I'm at this point with my recovery where it's like anything like anything in my life, like any moment where I start feeling really guilty for existing is like a really good moment to like inquire about like what's going on. And cause that's what it was like. It was like, I can't eat the foods I like because like that's not acceptable. And that means I'm not pure. And it's this obsession with like being pure and being good. And for me, like it's, it's very much so related to like anxiety and anxiety disorders. Like, and I would say this, I was like, if I, like when I do outreach with people, I'm like, my brain tells me that like to be safe, I have to eat X, Y, and Z. And if I said, if I was calling someone saying, yeah, I got to turn the light on and off 60 times in a row and then do 10 jumping jacks, then I'll be safe. I'd be like, well, that sounds crazy. But if I'm telling you like, yeah, I'm like safer if I like don't eat X, Y, and Z, even though like, whatever, like it just, I hope that makes sense. Like I had so many rituals around things and I was like, only if I do this, that can be safe. But it's like, that was an illusion. Like even when I ate perfectly and I like had this chiseled body, I wasn't safe. Like bad things still happened to me. I still had to deal with clients who I wanted to like, minutes you know, thank you for helping me not say a curse word. You know, I still had clients I had to deal with. I still had family. Like I still had dysfunction. I still grew up in an alcoholic home. And it's just like, all of those things were true. Um, oh, it's getting really windy. Let me just close this. Um, yeah, and like recovery has allowed me to like have an experimental life. Like if I want to, you know, there's so many, there were so many moments in recovery where I'd be like thinking about food. And I'd be like, no, like you can't have a snack. Like you shouldn't need a snack. Like you shouldn't, you shouldn't need a snack. And then I would eat the snack and I would magically not be thinking about food anymore. Like I have, and I've shared that with my sponsor literally a hundred times. And she's like, yeah, usually when you're obsessing about it and you eat it and you're not obsessing about it, you are hungry. And I was like, no, that doesn't make sense because I shouldn't have been hungry. And she's like, 
it's a, you're not a robot. Um, this program has given me so, like I can't even put into words like I like I said I never thought I could have recovery. I never thought I could go out to eat. I never thought I could go home and not send my mom a list of 200 things that like she has to have in the house and I'm only going to eat this. Like going home this year and letting my mom make dinner without being over her shoulder and being like how much oil are you putting in that? What are the ingredients? Let me see the recipe. Like what a gift for her and for me and for our relationship. And like that's a miracle too. Like I can be busy with work and like ask my wife to make dinner and like not be over her shoulder. Whereas when we first met and she was cooking out, she's like, I need to add more oil. I was like, no, you don't, you don't need to add any more oil, you know? And I was like literally over her shoulder being like, you can't like, you can't do that. So I don't, you have to figure it out. And it's like, I don't have to have that control anymore because I, I'm allowed to take up space. And also a big thing, what I was saying about, like, I used to worship at the altar of thinness, like letting go of what I think my body is supposed to look like letting go of every time I eat thinking, Am I, is this going to make me lose weight? Is this going to make me lose weight? Is this going to make, make me lose weight? Like letting go of that has been such a huge gift and also it lets me be present in my life. And it also lets me think about what else in life do I want to be except for someone who's losing weight all the time. Um, and that is actually the hard question for me to grapple with. Like, that's what I'm working on right now. And outside help is like, okay, like if my eating disorder is like, if I'm in recovery, then like, what am I supposed to do? You know, like, what am I supposed to do? And you know, like hobbies are like a novel idea. And I'm like, hobbies. No, I don't have time for that. Fun. No, I don't, I don't have time for that. And like, all of these things are manifestations of my eating disorder. Like my eating disorder wants to make life so serious. Like I used to be someone who was like, oh no, I don't go on. Like I only travel for educational purposes. Like I'll travel for like an educational conference you know, but you want to like sit at the beach. I'm not going to do that. I'll walk at the beach. That counts as exercise, you know? And it's like, I'm working on those things. It's like, like the Airbnb I'm in right now has like a TV, you know, and I'm like watching it. And it's like, is this okay? Am I allowed to watch television? You know? Cause I'm like, I have this fear. Cause like Growing up, I was like a really depressed kid. I would come home from school with my bowl of whatever and sit in front of the TV and my sponsor. And I'm like afraid that whether I'm with, and that's my fear is like, if I eat the thing that was in the bowl when I was a child, if I sit in front of the TV, like I'm going to become that fourth grader again, who is sad and lonely and doesn't fit in. But that's not reality. I have amazing fellows, amazing friends. Like I have tools. And like, for me, I've come to realize when I'm telling myself, you're so lazy, you're so this, you're so that. None of it's true. Like, oh, I'm like, there was a meme I saw a while ago that was like, you know, when I would wake up after sleeping in, I would berate myself. And now I wake up and say, yeah, I guess you needed some extra rest. And that's another thing my sponsors really told me. She would say over and over again, like, put down the whip and pick up the feather. Like, it's not that serious. One big meal, no big deal. Okay, you're too full. Okay, like, you know, like, did you run someone over? Like, no, you're too full. Like, great, move on. What comes next? You know, next right action. And even that phrase, when I was in early recovery, it was like, next right action? No, what's the best action? What is, I'm going to make a pro and con of all my possible actions that I could take and I'd be paralyzed, you know, doing the steps, having to rank my like top five fears. My sponsor was like, that's it, you're done. It's been two weeks. 
it, it doesn't, you, it doesn't, it's not actually like, it doesn't actually have to be in your one through five, like things you're the most afraid of. Like she was like, that's it. Your step's done. You're done with this. Like I'm done. And like, that was such recovery for me. And I have to really recommend the steps like that, like all of the tools really, you know, like for me, the plan of eating was like, Blair, you have to eat like meals that are meal sized. And it took me like three years to, and I'm still figuring out what a meal sized meal is. Half the time I eat lunch and I'm like, God, darn it. I still need to add something because that wasn't an actual lunch. Cause my brain would be like, just have something little, like you can get away with it. Eat something smaller first and then see, is that enough? Cause then you won't have to have the full size meal. So have the smallest thing possible and see if you can get away with it. Like my disease still does that. So like that plan of eating concept has been really helpful. The outreach calls have been really helpful. Like I have fellows now that like, they know what's going on in my life. I don't have to feel alone when I'm having drama with my family fellows know about it. When I am feeling like two weeks ago, when I was like, I shouldn't have breakfast anymore. Like people knew about it, you know, people know what's going on with me and I know what's going on with people. And I care what's going on with them because I love these people. And I, I genuinely care about people because I'm not obsessing about, okay, so the bread had this many calories and the cheese had that many calories. And then you add the carrots and you add like, that was my brain before it was like, there's no room for anything else. And meetings have been extremely helpful. Um, Zoom has been a gift. I never was able to get to an anorexic bulimic, bulimic focused meeting. And that has been life changing for me because those like being able to sit in a room and hear people talk about the different ways they restrict, which is absolutely not just food restricting money, restricting pleasure, working all the time and not taking any time off, like the different ways that restriction can manifest is so important for me to hear. And in those meetings is where I've really learned that at the root of my disease, very much so is this guilt for existing, this guilt for taking up space, this, this guilt for having like, you know, a human flesh vessel and all, everything that comes with it, which includes rest and food and enjoying things, God forbid I enjoy something like that must be pathological, you know? Um, so meetings are instrumental and having a service position at meetings is really huge and feeling like you're a part of the group and feeling like you're contributing something is really important. Um, I wanna talk about like how I work my program every day um, because I feel like that's also important. So like I wake up every morning and I just like journal, you know, usually I've got a resentment or seven of them. I journal it out. I get it out of my head. I read some of the daily readers. And for me, I got to adjust what some of those daily readers say, because, you know, you take what you like and you leave the rest and you can change what you need to. Um, and I meditate, I pray. Um, and, you know, I do my stupid physical therapy from that back injury that I have to do every single day, which, you know, when that, when I herniated a disc, my friend said to me, I guess you're going to have to pay attention to your body for the rest of your life. And I was like, oh my God, what a horror. I have to pay attention to the body, my body for the rest of my life. But it's been the biggest gift because yeah, I don't have to go to the gym every day because that's not who I am. And that's okay that that's not who I am. And that's okay if that's who someone else is. But I thought that's who I had to be in order to be okay. Um, I usually make like three outreach calls a day that has slipped a little bit since being um in transition and moving and and things like that but I do outreach I send my sponsor like an inventory every night of what I ate and you know that really helps me 
just accept what I've eaten. You know, my sponsor says to me, yeah, you've got body dysmorphia and you've got dysmorphia with your food. I always think I've eaten too much. No matter what I've eaten, I'm like, surely this is too much. No matter what. And if I have a day where I know I've eaten not enough, I'm like, yes, this is exactly how I should eat every day. I should only eat as little as I ate today because obviously today that was enough and it should be enough for the rest of my life. Um, I work the steps. I have sponsees. I talk to my sponsor once a week. We have a set time. That's really helpful for me. Um, and I work with my sponsees. I have three sponsees right now and I learn so much from them. Half the time, what I say to them is exactly what I need to hear. Um, you know, I, and I do outside help. I need it. I have to work with an eating disorder specialist because this is, this. I just need it. And, you know, the ability to come somewhere and be like, telling people that like, yeah, I used to do squats in the, in the, you know, airplane bathroom so that I could feel okay about sitting on a plane and people be like, yeah, I know that's the guilt for existing. That's a miracle. You know, it's a miracle because a lot of the times outside of these rooms, when I would go to people who didn't have the ism or just weren't speaking the same language, I say, oh, thank you. I'll wrap up with saying just like people be like, oh, everyone has an eating disorder. Our culture is sick, but not everyone wants to kill themselves over this. And you, do, I don't have to live that way anymore. I get to enjoy my life, live my life, be of service, take up space. And recovery is possible. I never, ever thought it was possible. And it's possible. So thank you so much for letting me share. It's been an honor. Um, thanks so much. Thank you.